Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Welcome back. This is my first podcast in two months and it's so great to be back on the mic. So a new work year has well and truly begun. In Australia, where it's been a long summer break for many, the focus on what we want to achieve as we head back into work and school schedules has to involve thinking about how to improve our capacity. We all have 24 hours in a day, so what can we do better? How do we get bigger business outcomes, regular exercise achieved, and more time for fun, family and friends? And what about sleep? We all need that. Given we can all benefit from fresh ideas, I chose to kick off my 2022 podcast year with Donna McGeorge. This is someone who's super passionate about enhancing the large amount of time we spend in our workplace or home offices, too much time for many, to ensure it's effective and productive as well as enjoyable. Donna has worked with managers and leaders throughout Australia and the Asia-Pacific for over 20 years. She delivers practical skills, training workshops and facilitation to corporates such as Jetstar, Medibank Private and Ford Motor Company, so they learn to manage their people well and produce great performance and results. Her CV reads like her eclectic record collection. Yes, classic vinyl. Manager of theatre, sports and concert tours for the UK-based Keith Prose, Asia-Pacific Organisational Development Manager for Ford Motor Company in Shanghai, China, as well as roles with Telstra, Qantas and Ernst & Young. She lives on the Gold Coast, Queensland, a region known for its world-class beaches, but her most creative moments come while sipping tea on a balcony, gazing at the meandering waterways alongside her husband Steve and dog, Prudence. Known as the productivity coach, she has a large range of books, products and services to help you improve the way we live and work every day. And I definitely need some of her magic as much as anyone. So welcome to the politics of everything, Donna. Thanks very much for having me, Amber. I'm thrilled to be here and very honoured to be your first for the year. Yeah, no, it's exciting. And I think we're all in that mind space where we need to get back into some sort of routine and productivity. So you are my perfect guest for that. Stepping back a little bit, share your childhood career ambitions. Do you know what, can you recall kind of what you wanted to do as a kid and did you end up there? What was sort of your early career journey? Well, I mean, I love the idea of being a teacher and I, I was that kid that on weekends would set up classrooms in the backyard and pretend to play schools and I was always the teacher. So I think there was something there, but I was always a bit fascinated with typewriters. So I, I just loved them and still do. But I had a pretty disruptive school experience with nine schools in nine years. So by the time I got to the end, I scraped through just enough marks to, to do an associate diploma in secretarial studies. So I got to type. But back then, uh, they were all on old IBM golf ball typewriters. So you're probably too young to know about that. But they were- Oh, no, I do remember that my mother actually was, she was a receptionist at, at the local hospital where we lived. And that's what she used. I can still remember the sound of it. And the feel, they were so good. 
Anywho, so I ended up being a secretary, really, and that led me to running small classes on things like, you know, how to complete your expense claim form, which led me to teaching Office, Microsoft Office applications, which led me to becoming a corporate trainer. But I'm, I don't think anyone in their late teens says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be an adult educator. But here I am, you know, it turns out I ended up being a teacher and a writer. So there it is. Excellent. So in 2019, you wrote a book focused on the first two hours of the day and making the most of that. Why do you think that's such a powerful time to be productive and and tackle perhaps some of the things that we we put off? Or as I like to say to my kids, just, you know, eat the frog, get the thing done you don't want to do first. Well, as it turns out, I'm more of an eat the chocolate kind of mum because uh, <laughs> I, I believe in getting the things done first that are um, that creates momentum. So that's one aspect of it. But the morning, about about eighty percent of us are are better in the morning than the afternoon. Our, our body clocks have evolved with circadian rhythms that say that we're more mentally alert in the morning and more physically dexterous in the afternoon. For those of us who are knowledge workers, this means our best time of day to access our smarts is in the morning. Um, And so that's why most people say they're morning people or they like to get up and do their stuff in the morning. And why the eat the frog thing has become probably the catch cry is is it's not so much eating the frog that's distasteful. It's what's the most important, most impactful, what's the thing that'll get me the best bang for my buck? What You know, if I get that done in the morning, then the rest of the day never quite a doddle, but the rest of the day flows a little easier. Absolutely. No, it makes sense to me as someone who loves the morning, but I, I, have, a, I have a husband who says he's not a morning person, but I think having had kids and so forth, we've, we've kind of retrained ourselves to even be earlier and more productive because, you know, there's more there's more to do in a day for us as a family with Absolutely. young children. So brain power is something we all love to harness and I love all those hacks about how, you know, we can work smarter, not harder, and I read a lot of books on, on that kind of thing and articles and blogs and so forth. How do you think we can rewrite our brain to be more energised and, and they're more productive? And I guess the second part to that is, you know, different stages of life and age may impact our cognitive function and other things that might be going on in our bodies. So do we need to readjust that over time? Like is the 20-year-old me going to be very different to the 55-year-old me in terms well, of that? speaking from experience as someone who's 55, I'm quite... Oh, there you go. I didn't even know. <laughs> quite different to how I was in the 20s. And I think any of us over 40 are starting to recognise that we just can't keep the pace uh, that we used to when we were younger. And I also think what we prioritise is different. So I'm, I'm, I was that classic 20-year-old that could go out partying with my mates all night and get to bed at four in the morning and then drag my, my myself out of bed at six o'clock and get up, showered and dressed and then go and do a day's work in the insurance company I was working for. So I think I think we, we had a little bit more capacity back then for stuff, whereas now we, we've got to be thinking, you know, what is it that I really want to expend my energy on? And I think it starts to become a little more, you know, finite how much we have. So we have to be a bit more conscious of it. And we've got to think about things that keep our minds a little more nimble to operate at their best. So I just did a piece in January for one of the newspapers around activities that boost your brain health. And they got me because I, you know, I, I love doing crosswords and, and Sudoku puzzles and all that sort of stuff, the, the neuroplasticity stuff, just to keep learning. So f- for those of us who are getting on a bit, I'm going to say it doesn't matter what it is, but are you, are you continuing to learn something new? 
Mm, absolutely. And so those sorts of things like the classic crossword and things like that, that's one way. Are there other things that maybe a lot of us haven't considered or if we don't like crosswords, what would be some other practical and tactical ways we could kind of get better at, you know, sharpening those tools in our brain? Look, it's any, anything that you're learning that's new. And so if you don't like puzzles or anything like that, it's like, I'd say, well, what, what have you always wanted to learn? I mean, uh, musical instruments are a great example. Now, I, I did learn piano as a kid, but I took up guitar later in life. Haven't haven't continued it, but any anything that just requires you to stretch or grow new neural pathways in your head. So it could be going and learning, I don't know, how to do bonsai, you're right, if you want to make little teeny tiny trees or go and learn Thai cooking. Um, anytime you're learning something new. And and remember, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. A lot of people kind of go hard with that stuff and then... Yeah, they want to become a concert correct, pianist or right? something. And, <laughs> and, it, and it's a little bit like, you know, re- rewiring your brain is better if you do it in small little chunks over time than trying to do a big burst. So it's a bit like New Year's resolutions, right? We we say, you know, I'm going to, yeah. you know, from now on I'm going to go to the gym every day and I'm going to completely give up chocolate. Well, actually, if you just went for a 10-minute walk and then 11 minutes the next day and 12 minutes the next day, you know, then you're going to get a better result and your brain will wire better over time. So it's the same with learning anything new. Just go, go easy, go consistently would be the answer. That's great advice. So being intentional is something you emphasise as being important to improving our capacity to do more and do things better. Is it examples or, you know, one or two things that you can think of that, that really demonstrate why being intentional and how being intentional can help us? So the, the literal meaning of intentional is doing things on purpose or deliberately. So for me, it's around having a consciousness and being conscious of what I'm doing and doing something differently or, or tracking my results. So for a great example of this is in the past, I've done Weight Watchers. And that's a very intentional, deliberate and purposeful program that gets you to micromanage your, your caloric intake and what you're eating. And that's why it's the most successful um, or has been the most successful in the world because we're, we're you know, we're monitoring that. But at the moment, um, what I'm working on is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging this idea that we have to do 10,000 steps, but apparently that's the thing to do, although... It is said that that came from a Japanese marketing campaign and that 7,000 steps is probably more useful. But as someone who's been a little sedentary over the last couple of years, jumping up and suddenly doing 7,000 or 10,000 steps a day is probably unrealistic. So right now I'm being very intentional. The intention is I want to walk. I'm being intentional about having my pedometer, you know, strapped to my arm. And, you know, I'm building up to a target of eight. And all I need to do is just one step better every day and I'm, and I'm doing okay. And so in terms of how this works with capacity, it's that absolute mind-body connection, right? So I'm creating more capacity mentally by having a healthier body. So that's kind of what I mean. The intention is always around how do I do my world better? Um, and at the moment, it's around taking one step at a, a day more than the, done, the one yesterday. Absolutely. And it's great to chunk that down, I think, too. It's that whole overwhelm thing when, like you say, you put, I want to do these 20 things and you end up doing two of them and then you feel defeated and then you end up doing none of them the next day. I think that's the challenge a lot of us have when we have big goals. Your newest book, The One Day Refund, demystifies the science behind productivity and there are some cracker strategies in there. We're now in a very much a remote work world where some of us no longer need to commute, but perhaps during the past couple of years, and I know I can say this for myself, 
I ironically have become more desk bound and more work work focused because we don't have that commute to punctuate the day or those kind of, you know, work lunches and things which break up the day. How do we actually, I guess, get ourselves thinking, breathing, living and working space wise better at kind of not compartmentalizing, but maybe just making more intentional decisions about how we use our time and our capacity. And particularly, I want to think about those three Ds that help us create more working space, which is where a lot of our headspace is at the moment, because we're just heading back from maybe a couple of months at the beach, and we need to kind of get back back into the game, as they say. Putting your attention and intention into any of the spaces is going to give you a return. So let's just say you picked, uh, I'll talk about working space in a sec, but just say you picked thinking space as an example and you decided I just want to create more of that, then anything you do there is, of course, going to have a knock-on or domino effect on the others. Um, But you're absolutely right. With those of us heading back to work, you know, I, I think the last two years has helped people put work into perspective and the and the first d is is exactly that is defining putting our work into perspective how does it fit into the wider picture of our life do we know why we work why this job why this location you know why why am i doing this what is the purpose because many of us end up in default we just rock up every day in a holding pattern doing stuff without really knowing whether it connects to me for a higher purpose and so my belief, uh, rightly or wrongly, is that I reckon you could even show up to a job you don't like much if you understand its purpose in your life. And so the purpose could be, you know, what, what do you do in your spare time? It can be as simple as that. I have a job so that it funds me, you know, reading lots of books or going to movies or, or hanging out with my kids or travelling or whatever it might be. I, I heard someone wrote, wrote a thing the other day around, do you earn a living And I really started to bust down that phrase, earn a living. And I thought that's really what work is about. It earns us the means to live or live the way we want or have a living. And yet for so many of us, we end up doing work becomes the focus. And so the first step in really creating more space is to to make sure you're clear about where does it fit and, you know, pardon the pun, making sure that it's appropriately sized in your life rather than consuming yes. your life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Sometimes it's just about rethinking that stuff. And, look, the beginning of the year is a perfect time to do that. But, yeah, I think it's just about kind of checking in with yourself on that too once you've made that commitment because a lot of the old habits die hard, as they oh, say. Absolutely. And this is what I think is driving what people are referring to as the great resignation, which really is just the great redesign or the great rethink or whatever you want to call it as people are making this choice having had two years of a different kind of working experience I'm thinking you know people are thinking differently about that so the next one uh, is is defragging or defrag and this comes from my old computer days in a in a galaxy far far oh, that away. word is yes that is a, <laughs> that's a word I do remember but I would say there's a generation of people that might not know no, what we don't have to about. do it anymore so for for the youngsters who might be listening in the olden days we had uh, computers <laughs> that would would as they would store data would sometimes if you if you imagine a CD is a great example this the data would be stored all over the disk in different spots and so every now and then we'd have to run a defrag program that would take all the data and and condense it into one area on the disk giving you a great big chunk of space 
left. And and I reckon we need to think about defragging our work, our calendars, just how we generally operate in the world. And, and I suppose another word for it could be batching. So a lot of us do our email in a very fragmented way. We kind of just dip in and out of our email all day and it just kind of creates spots all over our day. Every couple of minutes we're, we're diving in, we're having a look, we're checking. Whereas if you defragged doing your email, then you might only look at it, you know, I'm going to, some people might vomit a bit in their mouths at the thought of this, but you might only look at it three times a day or you might just say at the top of the hour, I go in for five minutes and just check that things are on track. I think meetings is a great thing to defrag that we just condense and say we only do meetings, say, between 10 and 3. And and anything you can batch, like-minded work or or like-minded even thinking, you, you do all that at one time, creating um, other space uh, in your day. So that's what defragging um, is about. And I batch my podcast. So today I'm doing back-to-back podcast interviews because on Monday when all my clients are kind of formally all back, you know, I just want to have that space to just focus on those meetings and those kickoffs and those goals. So I think it's it's great advice. That's a perfect example of that because, you know, I've had I've had – a couple of clients say to me, I just feel like admin is getting on top of me. I can't focus. I can't concentrate. And I'm like, well, why don't you just make Friday admin day? You know, pick a day and that's admin day. And you blast through all your admin on that day, leaving yourself four full days that you can focus on your more strategic or more what you think of as value-added work. So that's a, a great example. Do it all on one day. Look, the last one's delegate. And I know a lot of times people kind of cringe at that word. They think, you know, I don't want to give work to other people. You know, people, other people are busy. I don't want to bombard them. And I don't want to be seen as the person that gives people rubbish jobs to do. But a lot, of, particularly if you're a manager or a leader in an organisation, you really need to reframe delegation as development, that you're giving the next layer down the opportunity to level up. And the more that you allow them to level up and, and begin to step up into, you know, some of the work that you're doing, the more than that frees you to level up and do the and, and work at the level you should be or, or aspire to be working at. Um, but it's not even just work related, you know. So a lot of people think it is that that's just something you do for work. But even those of us who um, who are at home or don't have, you know, big teams or anyone to delegate to, it can also be personal admin. It can be what are the tasks that you're doing that you think, I just someone else really should be doing this or this is not a good use of my time. Um, I remember, remember the first time I really started to do well in my business and, you know, worked out my hourly rate and then worked out what it would cost me to have someone come and, you know, clean the house for me or do a couple of baskets of ironing or something like that. And the, the, the difference was so great that it was nearly stupid of me to be doing that, unless I enjoyed it. Right? I've got mates who love doing that. They find it very mindful to do that kind of stuff. But certainly if you're not enjoying it, it's worth looking at what are the things you can let go of. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and kind of sticking to that too rather than kind of delegating and then taking it back, you know what I mean, which is what sometimes people do. They kind of delegate for a bit and then they end up going back into that habit, is that habit-forming behaviour. It really is. And, and when it comes to delegation, you've got to be super careful. If I'm a manager or leader in an organisation and I start to hand off work to people and then I pull it back, that that has a worse net result, right, than, than you were before you were delegating because now it feels like you don't trust me, now it feels like um, I can't do it right now, now you've got a demoralised staff member because it's that they feel like they're not good enough so it's really it is really a tricky one I you know I write it in a book 
that says, you know, just go ahead and delegate. Um, and it is. It is. It, it'll, it's one of the toughest things that managers and leaders need to learn. Once you do, gosh, it's 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 you know what do you call it? It's liberating. liberating. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I've been quite obsessed about simplifying my own schedule to succeed more in the things that I care about. So not just, you know, scattergun success, but kind of what are the kind of pillars or the things or the priorities I have for 2022. And that includes not being overly stretched. And I think lockdown has helped a lot of us refocus on what we really need and like to do rather than what, you know, we feel obligated to do or having overly packed schedules because we basically weren't able to do that for so long and kind of rewired our expectations, I think, of a week. So I think that's been a good thing. I've always been someone who's had sort of not really to-do lists but kind of big goals and then chunk them down. But do you think some of those sort of, I guess, tactics can actually make us feel like failures because we can't always do all the things we think we want to do because life happens. Kids get sick or we get sick or the car needs a service and that, you know, takes away from some of the things we thought we'd get done. I mean, how do you organise your week to be able to sort of win more often and not feel guilty when you actually don't? get everything done you'd like to do? So I've thought about to-do lists a lot and they are, if you think about it, they're the ultimate procrastination really. Here are things, some things I'm going to do, not just do. So I kind of, I'm, I'm conscious that that whilst I'm a fan of them, they, they may not always be the best thing. So there'll be some people who love them, some people who don't. I guess the thing for me is I when, when I have got something on my list and I didn't get it done and so I might move it to another day or another day, by the time I've moved it three days, I've got this really great mechanism in my head that says clearly it's not a priority. Yes. And so the moment I re- – and, and, and it's okay, like permission granted for things to not be a priority because in that moment when I'm having that little conversation in my head, I say, well, clearly this isn't a priority. And if my other side of my head goes, actually it is, you really need to do this, then it's like, okay, I'm going to do it right now. Because if I now put it off again, if I now add it to a list, then I'm at risk of still not getting it done. So for me, it's like, if, is it a priority? Yes, then do it. Is it not a priority? Not really. Okay, then don't bother and, and be okay and let go of that. And I, and I think, you know, there's a new movement around, the, around this idea of not to-do lists or to-don't lists or whatever you want to call it. Because too often, <laughs> to don't list, to don't like list right? Um, we we do, you know, we generate several A4 pages of bullet pointed things we're going to cross off. And mine would be, what if you could only do three of those? What are the others that you're not going to do? And what are some of the things that you're going to let go of? Um, and that's the real key to capacity. It's never around, can I have more capacity? I want to be more productive. I need more time. It's actually around you know, what are you going to not do? What are you going to stop do, doing? What are you going to let go of? And that's what cr- really creates the space. Absolutely. So who have been some of your career mentors, maybe one or two that spring to mind, and what has helped them sort of help you and had an impact in your life or your career? You know, I hate to be cheesy about this. I'm sorry, but i got to go with my dad, Clive, who he was in the Navy. And I think having a Navy upbringing just cemented so many great life lessons for me and and these these are things like you know there's no excuse for being late ever I mean and this is you know my dad used to say you can't be late for the ship because it's a long swim home yes and so he he always said you know better to be an hour early than five minutes late and I still do that never depend on others when there's serious stuff at stake right and that that's that's happened so many times when I you know be late for work because someone who was going to give me a ride didn't show up and it's like ah there I go again dad was right 
Probably one of the best ones for me was um, if it's predictable, it's preventable. Uh, so a lot of us say, oh, I was late for work because the trains. And it's like, well, public transport can be really unreliable. So if it's predictable, it's preventable. And then probably no point dwelling on the past. It's what you do moving forward that counts. And so who you are becoming is more important than who you've been. So these are just things my dad, I think, set me up for. And, and, and it's what's created, I think, for me, how I just do the world generally from a whether it's productivity or whatever. Really? Absolutely. So if we spoke again in a year, what would be the number one thing you would have hoped to have changed in your business or career and why? Well, it'd be good if my book's a bestseller, just quietly. I'd love to be saying to you, yay, I had a best-selling book in, in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm currently on day 392 of a five-year plan. And the shift that I'm looking for is working with a few corporate clients to having more of a public offering. So from business to business to more of a direct-to-consumer model. So if it's a year from now, that'll be about day 730. And so by then I'd hoped I was doing about 50-50 revenue from those uh, channels. Excellent. Well, they're big goals and they sound awesome. I'm sure you'll get there. So final takeaway message for us on the politics of capacity. Well, capacity is about creating space. So going, going into the future and blocking time for vacations, taking a couple of days off a month from meetings, protecting Friday afternoon so you can knock off at a reasonable hour, creating the space for capacity for me is what's important. So my, my big message for most people is to ask yourself frequently, what can I do today that my future self will thank me for? Yeah, that's great advice. If you do want to connect further with Donna, there will be some details on the show notes. It's been great to have you on today to kick off what hopefully is going to be a better, brighter and bolder year for all of us. Thank you so much, Donna, for your time. Thanks, Amber. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests so if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.